0: Our lesson this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, beginning with the fifth chapter and the first verse. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You, sh- you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, Your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from here with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, Neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might." Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, there's a few things uh, there that I might preach on, I suppose. People often think the New Testament is... All about grace and forgiveness of God, which of course it is. And then the Old Testament's all about law and judgment, hellfire and brimstone. I give you Exhibit A, the Ten Commandments, given to Moses and the Hebrews at Mount Horeb. Images courtesy of the classic movie, The Ten Commandments, who boomers out there will recall fondly from their childhood, and those younger than that will view this as historical, archival matter. Let's look at a couple clips. That's God.
0: O Israel, you have sinned a great sin in the sight of God. You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments.
1: Oh, why is that going with <laughs> We're gathered against you,
0: Moses. You take too much upon yourself.
1: I don't know what that guy was smoking down there, but he sure got rid of it in a hurry. (laughs) Oh no, I'm going to get busted. Um, There are at least two things to observe about this famous uh, story and and the movie that has shaped some of our imaginations. Um, First, the image of God giving the Ten Commandments certainly conveys a certain Image about who God is, namely an inaccessible and a distant God who writes commands in stone with a fiery finger. Plus, we learn that God's voice is very low and kind of spooky. Second, um, with the Ten Commandments, God uh, appears to have set the bar pretty high for us, you know, as high as a, a mountaintop, basically. Now one thing's for sure, most people think, certainly in our American Christian culture, one thing's for sure, if I'm going to find any favor with God, make it through the pearly gates, as it were, I better obey the Ten Commandments. And since I haven't always done that, hopefully God grades on a curve. But I want you to notice today that this impression we have of the Ten Commandments as this kind of final exam is misleading because what does it say in verse 2? Go ahead and look at your lesson. Verse 2, it says that God made a covenant with us at Mount Horeb. A covenant. Hmm. Hmm. That's two parties that have an agreement and understanding a relationship. It's a two-way street. Think of the Ten Commandments as a one-way street. Thou shalt do this and not do that, etc. Okay, so if the Ten Commandments are a covenant, what does this mean? Well, maybe this might be where a lot of people go. If you obey the commandments, then I will do my part, says God, and... Favor you, bless you, give you eternal life. Something like that. If-then proposition. No, not even close. That's not a covenant. That's a conditional deal, a transaction. It's not what this means. Here's what covenant means in this context. Look at verse 6, if you will. Which is, before we even get to the commandments, this is setting the table. This is prologue, framework. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then look ahead to verse 15. I'm really making you guys work. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty and outstretched arm. End of quote. So, twice it's mentioned that God delivered them from slavery and into freedom. That's because these people have already been chosen, you see. There is already a relationship here by which God has bound himself to these people unconditionally. These oh-so-imperfect people, that's part of God's covenant. That's God's part. The Hebrews have been blessed before they even proved their mettle, their worthiness, as it were. The Ten Commandments, you see, are not an entrance exam for the Hebrews, nor are they for us. The commandments are a calling A calling to those whom God has already chosen. In other words, because God has chosen them, saved them, set them free, provided for them in the wilderness, he expects them to pass on that same promise and providence and hope to the rest of the world in their words and in their actions. Put another way, God told Abraham and Jacob multiple times that they would be blessed and are being blessed, to be a blessing to whom? All the families of the earth. The Ten Commandments are a covenant because it means God has blessed them and will continue to, and they are to pass on that blessing through their lives and the way that they treat the people around them and the families with whom they interact and encounter, all of the families of the earth. Do you see the intent of God, the long-range plan, the arc of God's purpose? Do you see how the calling here is a part of the covenant? Now, sometimes in our culture, people make the commandments all about me, myself, and I, given to me to make my life better. This This is the secret formula to your success and happiness. Probably in a sense that's true, but that's not the point here. The Ten Commandments are not about you or me. The Ten Commandments are given to me for the sake of my neighbor. It's about the neighbor, to protect my neighbor from me when I get greedy and or abusive. That's why they're there. Um, here too, the Ten Commandments are sometimes grossly misunderstood. The commandments don't just prohibit you from hurting your neighbor. It's just a small part of it. They are, again, God's calling and invitation to you to proactively help your neighbor to thrive. Big difference. In other words, it's not just what you don't do, it's what you can do anytime, anywhere. This is a 24-7 It's not just about keeping your nose clean. It's about getting out there and making a difference. Luther, in his small catechism, beautifully picked up on this. The fifth commandment is, thou shalt not kill. And what does this mean? Luther explains, and those of you who, who have this memorized for life from your confirmation class can say it along with me. What does this commandment mean? We should fear and love God, that we may not hurt nor harm our neighbor in his body, but... Help and befriend him in every bodily need, in every need and danger of life and body. Do you see the vision of that statement and the intent of God? So then, not only do we not kill or harm our neighbor, we are actually called to help and befriend our neighbor. Why exactly? Because, because we are surrounded by grace always, And we are called to extend that grace to our neighbor. That's why. We've been chosen by a God who blesses us, helps us thrive, gives us hope, and as a result, as a part of the covenant, God calls us to do likewise. Bless those around us, help them thrive, give them hope. And this, too, is a part of God's grace. Namely, that God would partner with the likes of me and you for something so important as that. That's grace, that we have meaningful work to do. It's part of how we are saved, by doing God's work. We just learned about another senseless mass gun shooting. Uh, Since we're all thinking about this, unless we've just grown so numb that we're not even thinking about it, it's just like, "Eh, eh, another one. Um, But I think many of us are thinking about it. It's worth wondering in a place like this what God might be saying to us today by way of the Ten Commandments. Do you think there might be a message for us here? Seems like there might be a connection. Well, sure. You know, Pastor, the real obvious one, do not kill. Uh, Obviously, that guy did multiple times. Likely, though, no one... Here, we'll ever kill someone, let alone snap in such a horrific way. Easy to put it aside and think, eh, whatever. What happens when we read the full intent of the command not to kill? In the original sense, in the Lutheran sense, that we seek our neighbor's protection and safety actively. We know who our neighbor is, this neighbor whose life we want to thrive and to be successful and safe. Who is our neighbor? It is our young people attending schools all over the place. It's believers gathered in churches like this. It's folks like you and me who go to a movie theater to relax, watch a movie people in any conceivable location of normal, everyday life, including the hallways and neighborhoods where people become isolated and lonely and fall between the cracks. And you know as well as I that it is in these locations where unhinged individuals keep showing up, armed to the teeth, and ready to carry out some dark, desperate fantasy. Do the Ten Commandments speak to this situation? Oh, yeah. These are our neighbors, including the shooters, whom we are called to love. Is it not abundantly clear at this point, let's call a spade a spade, that we have a deep, dark sickness at the heart and soul of this nation of ours, this family, A sickness evidenced by the sort of thing we just witnessed in Oregon, which happens over and over and over again. We know this. And and, and this doesn't happen, frankly, in other countries, partly because they respond proactively when such things occur in nations that are far less Christian than ours. While we seem to be utterly and completely paralyzed and do nothing, do absolutely nothing. I think we share a frustration there. When that is the case, I would submit to you, we are all guilty of breaking the fifth commandment. We're all part of the sickness because we're all in this together. That's what the good book tells us. We're connected, we're in this together. All the families of the earth matter. The American family matters. What does it mean for us to obey the Ten Commandments here? I want to throw questions out here. Again, if we think it means, well, I haven't killed anybody and don't intend to, therefore, check, I'm good, we are sorely mistaken. This is a calling to serve the common good and prevent violence and predatory behavior any way that we can for the sake of our neighbor the hebrew understanding of prayer is helpful at a time like this according to that understanding any time we pray we cannot just dump something on god's lap and passively expect god to handle it while we sit back and wait prayer means that we are committed to partner with god in action as well as to offer our prayers, to accomplish what it is that we pray for. We are a part of the solution, an agent for it. So if we pray for peace, we live and act as a proponent of peace, etc. In this spirit, I would suggest that if we pray for the families who've been victimized here, and as a people of God continue to do nothing, Our prayers are hollow and perhaps a waste of time. I realize there are many different opinions about how to address this problem. (laughs) I get that. Nobody can have the illusion that this is an easy task. But to continually shrug our collective shoulders and assume there is nothing we can do because of the Second Amendment or whatever is wrong. And it violates our call. So, assuming we pray for the families and pray for our nation, in the spirit of the covenant that God made with us, what are we doing, each of us and collectively as a community, to help our nation act and move forward? I was just at a conference this week where I heard a wonderful definition of justice. Justice is what love looks like in the public square. Public Square, that's where we live every single day as a big, diverse family. Do you and I love in that way, in the justice way? In such a way that we would, well, for instance, vocally advocate for laws that might, uh, oh, prevent our neighbor from being face-to-face with someone who is seriously ill yet has just purchased an arsenal of weapons? Will you be, will you and I be an advocate for those who are struggling with mental illness? Will we have an eye for the lost and the lonely around us? Will we be peacemakers in our neck of the woods and counter it every time we hear hateful stereotypes being bandied about? Will you and I intervene with bullies? I think you see how it's all connected. And if you don't like my questions, what questions would you put out there? We all have our own way of framing it, and I encourage you to do just that and not just take my words. Tonight we are holding a vigil for victims of domestic violence. Talk about neighbor. This is next door, like real neighbor. The fifth commandment asks questions of us. Are we helping prevent domestic violence or aiding and abetting it? In our comments and jokes, our attitudes and behavior, our courage or cowardice to speak and to act. The Ten Commandments are directed at us, God's beloved children whom God has committed God's self to to treat others with the same compassion that we receive from God, to say yes to life and to work for healthy communities. Sometimes you hear us um, talking about the missional church around here. Well, this is it, right here. And the signs of God's work in you are many, including our work with Home Free, our partnership with Home Free, the women shelter nearby, and the vigil that we're holding tonight, that some of you are involved in, and will choose to come to. I close with a quote from um, the pastor Beth passed my way just yesterday. "The Truth About God" by Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon. Just a brief statement about the commandments. The commandments are not guidelines for humanity in general. They are a countercultural way of life for those who know who they are and whose they are. Their function is not to keep American culture running smoothly, but rather to produce a people who are, in our daily lives, a sign, a signal, a witness that God has not left the world to its own devices. Amen. Please stand as we sing.